0: Did you all watch um, Deepu's PCBH Corner? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Because Dave sent me the raw copy, you know, on Zoom. And I was like, ah, you know, I was busy doing something. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's Deepu. I want to hear what he had to say. And I was, like, enthralled. I I got a billion things to do just sitting there listening to. He talks a lot about, like, spirituality and how to, like, deeply connect in the BHC role. It was was super good. I would definitely recommend. I watched it, or I listened to it on, like, 1.5 speed. You know, to try to get through, and uh, it, it was really, really, really good. It's probably better if it was played at regular speed, but
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I'll check that out for sure. All
2: right, you guys ready? All right. Well oiled. Oh. Hi uh... oh. <laughs> <No. laughs> on the set. Interrupting <laughs> your lead-in. Sorry. <laughs> as My soon spouse? as he said, oh. "Well
3: oiled machine." <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> the, the irony of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one more. One more time. One last hurrah.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. Okay. <laughs>
1: Hello, welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast. I am Grace Pratt, uh the editor of the podcast. Wait, I'm gonna start over because I didn't say CFHA. <laughs> I told y'all I would just fall off today.
2: This is just like we're just falling into the podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Health Care Association. I am Grace Pratt, the editor of the podcast, and I'm joined by two of my co-hosts this morning. We're going to start the way we always do with a bit of an icebreaker. And this uh, comes on the heels of some exciting personal news for me. Today is a big day because they're breaking ground on my new house. And I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to cut my commute from 55 minutes to about 13. So it is going to be, a major, major nice thing for me. Probably not till like next summer. It's going to be a while, but it cannot get here soon enough. I've been making that commute for about seven years and I have found some interesting ways to pass my time over the years. Uh, So what I'm curious to hear from you is... Uh, what do you do on your commute, which is a little bit of a funny question for Naftali because of where he's joining us from this morning. <laughs> so let's start with you.
2: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So half the time I walk from my home to my uh, garage and it, it is an, an a detached garage. So I do have a commute of sorts. Oh, okay. And so I will tell you what I do on my commute to my garage, actually. Um, yeah. My office. I um, stop and I pause and I take a look at my grapes. Um, I love, I grow muscadine grapes uh, on a sort of half trellis attached to my garage. And they're like my babies. And I look at them every day, just kind of take a look at them. Even if it's like fall season now and most of the leaves are, are gone or turned yellow. Uh, I just look at the different branches and the different knobs. This morning I looked at it and was like, oh, yep, it's getting time to do the fall trimming and, uh, just trying to think about where I'm going to be trimming. And, and then I, after a few minutes walk right into my office. So, uh, I yeah, that's what that. I, do. I was
1: joking, but that is like the perfect little, and it reminds me of my, of my grandfather, my dad's dad, who grew those grapes in his backyard and his house. So love that. What do you do with your grapes?
2: Uh, well, so this was our first year getting a really nice crop. So I will make jam out of them. That's a really useful way. Juice is hard to make because you need so many grapes. I didn't realize how many grapes you actually need to get just a cup of juice. So I'll do that, but it's a lot of work for not a lot of, not a lot out of it. So that, and then we just eat them.
1: I love that. Uh, you forgot to introduce yourself.
2: <laughs> oh yes. <Right. laughs> I'm Neftali Serrano, Neftali Serrano, whichever way you're able to say it. I'm the CEO here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association, and I'd love to be part of this podcast. Thank you.
1: And then we also have Deepu George with us this morning.
3: All right. Good morning. Uh, I am coming to you from the Rio Grande Valley. My name is Deepu George, and uh, I am an associate professor in family medicine at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, all the way down in South Texas. Contrary to my usual mornings, today is dark, gloomy, and rainy outside, Um, not what people think of South Texas. Not the image that I was hoping for either, <laughs> looking outside my window today. Um, my commute is about 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes, depends on traffic. It's turned into something uh, more meaningful over the last uh, four, three, four years or so. Uh, so my when my parents visited, um, you know, they kind of saw how busy my life was. And then they realized when I used to tell them I'm busy, Like, they're like, oh, you are really busy. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't just
0: blowing us off (laughs) this whole time. (laughs)
3: Um, But I realized um, I didn't know anything about their day-to-day stuff. And they didn't know anything about my day-to-day stuff, right? And so what I do daily as I pull out uh, is I call my parents. And then I spend all my mornings driving about 90% of the time. I'm talking to my mom and dad and uh, we kind of end with a little uh, meditation or prayer uh, as I walk into the office. And so that's what I do every morning.
1: That sounds very great. Both of your commutes are very grounding.
2: I was going to say that's fantastic, Deepu. Um, I wish I could talk to my parents every morning, but uh, yeah, they would just probably just talk to me about all the current ailments they have uh so i'm not sure it would be very <laughs> I,
3: i'm not saying none of that makes it into the conversation <laughs> i'm just saying i talk to my parents right sometimes it's about the weather sometimes i think you know mom i could you know just google the weather in kerala and find out what's going on <laughs> <up. laughs>
1: like, tell me about you <laughs> i love that, mm-hmm. that it's beautiful i i probably no surprise to anyone. Listen to a lot of podcasts on my commute. Um, I have some favorites that make me laugh. I have some that make me think I have some that I think make me a better person. Uh, So I just really like to use that time. But then there's a lot of times too, that I just put on a playlist and space out. Like I said, I've been doing my commute for quite a long time and I really don't hate it. For one thing there as a mother, a working mother of four children, there's very little time that I'm not accountable to someone taking care of someone doing things, um, you know, taking care of situations, putting out not usually literal fires. Uh, so there's a lot going on, but on my commute, no one's talking to me. No one's touching me. I can just spend that time the way I see fit and not have to worry about like. I'm not avoiding anything. I'm doing exactly what I need to be and doing in, in the moment I need to be doing it. And so I, am, I do think there's, there is going to be a little piece of me that misses that when I don't have to drive anymore. Although it did occur to me a few months ago, you know, I could like go to the gym and have no one talking to me and no one touching me or go for a walk or do a lot of other things other than sit in my car. Uh so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure I'll have some updates for you guys along the months as they build. Um, so uh, thank you guys for this morning. We're missing our friends and colleagues who can't be with us, but I think we're going to have a really great conversation about advocacy and policy and what does that look like and what's needed and how can we join in thinking from an integrated care standpoint. But before we get to our main conversation, Niftali has some news for us.
2: Yes. So uh, just some quick news, kind of a best kept secret here at CFHA is that Sandy Blount has been leading this Certificate in Primary Care Behavioral Health Leadership for the last year. And it's a cohort-driven approach. And so there's a small group. um, If you are a behavioral health director or leader, you are eligible for this uh, training. It's not for folks who are wanting to be leaders. It's folks who are already in those leadership positions and uh, want basically uh, mentoring, uh, guidance, training on the skills needed to make that work well. And Sandy Blount, as if you don't know who Sandy Blount is, you should look him up. Uh, Many years at UMass um, as just one of the leaders in integrated care nationally for decades, has lots of experience. He shares that in in biweekly small group sessions. Um, I believe the Group is limited to about eight to 10 uh, folks. And this is a year-long experience for this group, Uh, getting to know each other, getting to know Sandy. He has guest speakers come in. I've come in for him several times and other folks have. And it's just a great place to just develop your leadership skills. So to check that out, you can go to our website, cfha.net and just scroll down to where the calendar item is. And right there, you'll see the link for the uh, Certificate in Primary Care Behavioral Health Leadership that Sandy runs. So check that out. It's one of the ways that we are living out our mission to really support this generation of healthcare professionals uh, lead and develop these efforts. Because as we all know, especially here on this podcast, uh, for a lot of us, it's uh, making stuff up as we go. You know, <laughs> It feels like that in a way, as far as leadership standpoint goes. So we, we'd really like to provide some more scaffolding for these uh, young leaders. So yeah, that's our news.
1: That's fantastic. And such a great opportunity. Um, I hear more and more about different cohorts and cohort experiences and people moving through those kind of peer groups together with mentorship. And I think it is just such a great, uh, such a great way to learn and grow those skills. Thank you, Naftali, for that news. And we have a surprise addition to our podcast. Dr. Bridget Beachy was able to join us today. So, Bridget, would you mind introducing yourself and answering our icebreaker question about how you spend your commute?
0: Yeah, my name is Bridget Beachy, and I'm a BHC and psychologist by trade out in central Washington, uh, the state of Washington, that is. And as far as how I spend my commute, I listen to audiobooks. So... Uh, it's, I look forward to it and I have it set up to to where right when I turn on my car, it automatically goes into Bluetooth and just wherever I left off, it'll start playing. Uh, and so it kind of takes the decision out of it, which really helps for over those mornings. Maybe you're not really feeling it. It's only about a 12 minute drive, but, um, I've never regretted that I was listening to it. I'm always happier that I did, uh, and started off my day on the right foot.
1: Awesome. Love that. Um, are you more of a fiction reader or nonfiction?
0: No, I like uh, all things like leadership, business, That was gonna psychology, be my guess. self-development, um, any of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a, a sucker for growth mindset and self-development stuff.
1: <laughs> that was hundred percent going to be my guess. I love that. And I'm so excited that we also apparently. Have Monica able to join us? Monica, uh, you are not late. We haven't started our main conversation yet. In fact, you're only about two minutes behind Bridget. So I want you to introduce yourself. And then our icebreaker question for today is how do you spend your commute?
4: Oh, that's a good one. So my name is Monica Williams Harrison. I am a licensed clinical social worker by discipline, but I am a BHC. Um, Commute. So what I probably should be saying is that I spend my commute listening to our great podcast. That's what I should be saying. Uh, But I actually spend my commute usually listening to music. I like what's called trap music. So those of you who didn't know that about me know it now. Um, So I spend my commute listening to music to kind of set myself, hype myself up for the day or hype myself down from the day, one or the other.
1: I love that. We all have a little bit different strategies. I'm so glad that everyone is able to join us. And this is a perfect time to pivot into our main conversation. So we're going to talk today about policy and advocacy and what is needed and what does that look like and how, how do we engage in that as interdisciplinary professionals who believe in and care about integrated care? So I'm going to start just super broadly and kind of open that up. And I wonder when I just threw those words out there, of policy and advocacy, like what floated to the top for any of you?
2: So I told you before that when you floated this topic, like things went ding, 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 in my brain, because this is sort of the space that I live in all the time. And so sort of the overarching piece of it is related just to workforce, because I think that's this, well, there's two categories, right? Workforce and payment are the two categories of policy and advocacy that are huge related to integrated care. And by the way, I would say it's huge related to just mental health delivery, just period, across the country. So when people talk about sort of the mental health crisis and, um, you know, all the need and all the demand, you know, there is actually some pretty straightforward, simple ways, Well, simple in quotes, right? But simple ways that the changes could be made to uh, significantly improve the overall issue with mental health. Those same changes would also help those of us who are really trying to get integrated care. Um, right. So I'll list off a few and then you all can respond to those and particularly in your areas and how they affect you. Because the thing is, it doesn't affect ever. These things don't affect everyone in exactly the same way, um, depending on your state, depending upon the main payers that your patient, uh, the payer sources that your patients come from, et cetera, right? All right. So here, here are the, the main issues. So one, licensure types, Right? So, you've heard us here on the podcast. We're all a mix of different licenses, right? In fact, I think we've got almost all the licenses represented. We've got LMFT, LCSW, uh, psychologist. Uh, we don't have LPC in, in, on this, but right. So, licensure types. And um, so, you'll have payers who won't reimburse for certain license types. And that becomes really restrictive because if you're in an area where you can't hire an LCSW or a psychologist, but you can hire an LMFT or LPC why should you be limited to just those license types, right? So um, creating policy that, that creates parity across license type legislation would be great. Second issue, cross-state licensure. It's another big issue, especially for telehealth, right? Um, if, if you can't operate outside of your state, you can't really do telehealth effectively, right? Which is which is really ridiculous because if you're licensed in one state, why are you not an eligible provider in another state? That makes absolutely no sense, right? It's just state boards playing games and turf battles. So that's another big issue. Billing for trainees, another big issue from a workforce development standpoint, we can bill for residents, right, under supervision, but we can't bill for mental health trainees, So if you're MSW, you still have two years before you can get your LCSW, meaning that's two years where a business can't reimburse for the services you're providing, even if you're under supervision, right? So that's another big issue uh, for folks. And then a couple of uh, billing-related issues, same-day billing. There are lots of states or payers that will not allow billing for two different visits on the same day. So you as a patient can go see your medical provider and uh for depression and they want you to see the bhc that day and you can't be billed because the payer says nope two visits for depression can't do that in one day even though obviously it's a lot more convenient for that to happen in that in that way and then uh last but not least here telehealth um you know full parity with telehealth right um it should be the case that if you talk to a patient on the phone if you work with them on video if you see them in person it's work that's clinical work. It's, it's reaping benefit. It's clear that, especially over these last few years, telehealth works. So, But not all payers will, will provide equal payment or payment at all for telehealth. We did get good news from Medicare that telehealth will be continuing uh, to reimburse for uh, substance abuse and mental health treatment. So that's good. But other payers have to follow suit, right? So those are the main sort of sort of regulatory issues. The last one that I'll throw out is related to, and this is advocacy related, um, not as much policy related, but it's really about academic training. So for us in integrated care, right now, every single individual who does this work pretty much has to be trained after they are licensed. And that's a ridiculous way of building up a workforce. There should be more robust academic training tracks, in fact, I think every school in America that calls itself a trainer of mental health professionals ought to have a primary care track. You shouldn't just be training specialists in mental health. You should have a primary care track that prepares professionals for the work in the field so that we don't have to retrain folks afterwards. So that's advocacy in the sense of like, that's there's no government policy that's making that happen, but there are lots of regulations and processes within academia that are maintaining the status quo and not allowing that to happen. So that's a long laundry list, but it tells you, tells you how much has to change in order for um, integrated care to really take root uh, full, full force. I
1: love that. And I, I wish that people could see our chat. <laughs> you, there's like, yes, yes. That's so stupid. Yes. And just lots of affirmations for everyone. And I just want to give one example. Cause I love, I think one of the points that you made and one of the things that makes this so difficult is that it's so state dependent. And I know we're all calling in from different States today. I think as I look over our um, pictures and even Christina is not with us today, but is isn't even another state from any of us. Um, so I'm sure that we all have examples in our States of barriers, but one of the barriers in Oklahoma is that adult Medicaid patients can only receive mental health treatment from a community mental health center, as far as like therapy services. And so we were looking into recently what it would look like to start billing for some of our services. And we have about 60 to 70% of our patients at our clinic are either Medicaid or Medicare. And as an LMFT, I already can't bill Medicare. And then I also cannot bill Medicaid in the physical location of our clinic because we're not a community mental health center. And so that's just one, like Oklahoma state specific instance. And I think you know, we all would have those. And so I just wanted to illustrate that point. And, and I want to open it up because I we have so so many good
4: points happening in our chat. I want our listeners to hear these as well. Well, I'll go. This is Monica. Um, I first have to give my disclaimer since I do sit on um, the board for the National Association of Social Workers that my views are not the views that represent the board. But let me just say, as soon as you said policy and I'm listening to Neptali's list, Instantly, I thought of a same tagline that I used to hear all the time when I was in graduate school, but didn't really understand it, really, that policy is practice and practice is policy. They are so in line with each other. And sometimes as individuals, as professionals, we get so into the practice part without realizing that we have something to give in order to change some policies. Because if things don't change in the policy side, it limits all of us with what's happening on the practice side. So you really have to be invested in both. And the truth of the matter to me, Monica own opinion, is that our guilds, although we love them, although it's how we got our training, although it's part of made us who we are, they are still functioning in silos, which makes it very challenging for those of us who are in integrated care, working with multiple discipline types on a team that is welcoming to all, to really function in true integrated care fashion at times. Um, and that is so frustrating to me and I think is one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever experienced, but I'm in it. Um, and just about at least three times a week, there's something going on that really behind the scenes, you think it's policy, but it's also a lot of politics. Um, so yeah, that's me.
3: No, absolutely. i One of the things, even beyond the licensure stuff, right, there's the guild stuff up front. There are even programs, academic programs, that ultimately will funnel into the same licensure, like LPC. Um, They still have so many issues between those uh, departments. So, we're in the process at our institution of getting four mental health disciplines to work together to create what Neftali talked about as a primary care track in the mental health discipline. And my hope is that by the end of five years, as we go through this BWED grant, that we'll, we'll have worked out enough mechanisms that course substitutions and other things will equal the, f- the three courses that we've designed and are gonna be uh, part of the master's program will just be an automatic part of the plan of study, right? And it is, it is hard work. I feel like most of the time I'm doing like family therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh, you know, like just just reclarifying, restating and kind of saying we're all trying to get at the same thing. And what if we do this? And, and so, yeah, it's just insane. I think the big policy issue, everything that ties with Nathalie talked about and what Monica talked about is I think we have the big sense is the unworking of the legacy that the policy and financial decisions that have been made prior in prior years, that essentially separates the mind and the body and kind of creates this parallel and unequal systems, right? The other thing where my mind went is the parity in care in terms of mental health parity versus physical health parity. And also, where do investments go? I know in Texas, for sure, in the last couple of years, I think in not this legislative session, but two sessions ago or one sessions ago, one session ago, they released like $30 million for mental health. But majority of that went towards rebuilding state hospitals, right? And kind of creating extra beds. I'm not saying that's not needed, but if you're really saying mental health crisis, we don't want to build infrastructure for crisis. We want to build infrastructure to prevent crisis and build bridges so that those crisis centers uh, need to be used less often, that we can kind of take care of things upstream.
2: Yeah. And just pointing out $30 million is a drop in the bucket.
1: I'm thinking about what our listeners might be thinking and putting myself in some of their shoes. And to me, for me personally, a lot of times the snag becomes to be, I can see the problems we can, like we in this room, the zoom room can agree on the problems and we can even get a lot of other people sometimes to agree on the problems, but it's just so big. And it feels a little, I feel like this tiny little speck. Of a piece of something in the big picture, and so what can we say to someone that's feeling overwhelmed?
2: Well, I think I think actually, and what I've seen happen with a lot of these things is that they're they're actually not that big problems when you uh, break them down, and, and actually it it doesn't it, in the end doesn't take a whole lot often to make these changes. But there are people with a lot of entrenched agendas. And so the only way to kind of work through that and get those folks to get to that tipping point where they say, oh yeah, this doesn't threaten me. Oh yeah, this is, this is actually will be good for everybody. Oh yeah, this is a win-win here is to develop a relationship with those folks um, and to kind of market to those folks, right? And, and I think we each in our small ways can do that. I mean, like, you know, Deepu's example is a great, when Deepu told me about that, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that work that he's doing, like, that's just happening at one institution, right? At UTRGV. But that's like fantastic work that Deepu's doing. Now, if Deepu has success there with bringing these departments together, right, which is not changing state policy, it's not changing, you know, the world and and payers, but people then notice that, Right. Other institutions notice that other entities can maybe talk about that and say, hey, how did you do that? How did that happen? And that's how these things happen. It happens at slowly chipping away, um, you know, building those relationships locally and uh, marketing to those folks. And then all of a sudden, you know, like kind of like what happened with telehealth in the last couple of years, a situation occurs where people like, oh, we need this telehealth thing. And um, the reason it worked was because there was actually a lot of people working on telehealth, to the, uh, not just the tech side, but the policy side, et cetera. And they were ready when COVID hit to say, hey, telehealth can step in, we can do these things, we can do this, and then boom, you saw how quickly telehealth adoption happened and also how quickly policy change happened at the payer level and at the state and federal regulatory levels. And actually, that was a great lesson for me because I realized, holy smokes, literally within a week, policy and practice shifted within one week, it shifted, which meant this wasn't as hard as what we thought it was going to be or how, they, how it was pictured, right? Within one week, we shifted all that. So most of this stuff is of that quality, we're just following an entrenched path, we need to build relationships with those folks. And really, if you're sitting in your car today thinking, well, but I'm just a BHC at a local clinic, like, yeah, you're just a BHC, but you have an opportunity to tell story, you you have an opportunity to connect uh, with whoever's around you, you even have an opportunity to, to do advocacy within your own institution. To, to, to build up the, the understanding of what integrated care is about, how we're about breaking down silos, how that's better for patient care, et cetera. And all those little things actually do make make a big difference in the end. Um,
4: I actually the de- think the BHC has much more to bring to the table in terms of advocacy and policy than they think, because you're in it, right? Like you're in it, you're, in, you're in experiencing it day to day in your work, So there's a level of experience that you bring to the table to those who are on the policy level that nine times out of 10, they probably don't have. So they want to hear from you. They want to know what's working, what's not working, where are you hitting roadblocks, what ideas that are innovative that you might have, like they want to hear from you. So you actually have a whole heck of a lot to bring to the table more than you really realize.
3: Absolutely. There's a vantage point that only you can speak to about everyday Hassles and graces and wins and victories that you have in a primary care setting, um, and nobody else can really speak to that. Not to kind of, uh, you know, put a shameless plug in here, but for the PCBH forum, one of the sessions that we did was called Get Involved How to Influence Integrated Care Legislation. And um, Stacey Obide, Linnea Lindsay, Stephen Gilepsy from um, APA, and Roger Smith from AAMFT came together for a conversation both Stephen and Roger kind of representing a guild kind of a perspective whereas Stacy and Linnea just talking about the importance of just grassroots engagement uh, with different uh, people in your state right so there may be communities there may be societies there may be just even your guild organization may be doing something for integrated care and just staying uh, close to those um, events and signing up for those things because you don't have to do the big policy firefighter kind of issues that may come up, right? Because every now and then you're going to hear, oh, COCM policy versus PCBH policy or whatever. But those are like the big things, right? But there are lots of grassroots things that can happen across states. And I think Oregon is a good example for that. Um, And I know different states have done that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, here at CFHA, um, so we also, in addition to that really great session at the PCBH ELO, There was an a policy extended learning opportunity. That's what NELO is, and uh, that cohort of folks is a cohort. The folks who took that, we're gonna we're gonna try to organize that those folks here in 2022 into a cohort, a peer group, to develop their advocacy skills and help them with their local issues and help them build up their skills advocating for whatever it is that's going on in their particular neck of the woods so that's that's something that folks can also join if you're a CFHA member and are interested in in becoming more of an advocate just keep an eye out for that as well because we know it's it's important to have good advocacy skills and know how to do that to to affect change but we also on the other hand i want you to know that it's not it's not that complicated it usually just takes finding your voice and understanding very specifically the issue in front of you. So what, it is, what is the change that you wish to see in the world, right? You need to be able to articulate that. As long as you can articulate that, then it's just about creating opportunities to share the good word, sort of become a, a sort of evangelist for integrated care, wherever, whatever space you're in.
0: I've been accused of that. And I, <laughs> I said, I completely agree. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that does terrify me, not to get like negative on us, I was like pumped up by what Naftali said, now I'm going to bring us down. Uh, one of the things that does terrify me is the quality of integrated care that exists. Like Naftali said, it's not academic institutions. And if there are, uh, the one, you know, there's not that many. And then you start thinking about quality control there. And so what that means is there's a lot of folks who have zero training who are going out and they, they get a grant, they're plopped into a clinic, and they're set up to fail from the beginning and the quality of integrated care can be marred by, okay, this is what they think that it is because folks don't have any training. And so I actually kind of had like almost like a internal crisis the other day where I'm like, am I gonna do more harm than good by advocating for something that I actually think can be very harmful uh, if it's not done. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, but my God, if it's somebody just wakes up and is like, oh, I'm a BHC, uh, There's a lot of harm that can be done. Um, and I've seen it, unfortunately, and it scares me. So, yeah. uh, which, truthfully, I think is a good thing because now, as Neftali was saying, if you can articulate the problem, well, then you can do what you can to contribute to that. And so, that's just another part of my lens of what mm-hmm. I want to do in my career is to help that not be the case. You know, to have high quality. Yeah. And so, I don't know if you guys have thoughts no, on that, or I if I just derail the conversation really bad.
2: I'm with <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely.
3: One of the things that I made very clear to all of our, I mean, Department of Counseling became like our first allies to kind of, you know, bring everybody else around the table. And I'm, uh, they were gracious enough to let me make them go through a couple of things that they probably didn't want to. So they did a four day intensive, all the faculty, and these are faculty in per established programs. And in the four day intensive, they had like a lot of pre-work that they had to read and then. Two days were just simulations. Like they were basically running appointments and we were observing and giving them feedback on how they handle those things. Cause so I said, this is what you're going to, your students are going to go through. And so this is exactly what I want you to go through because um, you're going to get support from us as BHCs, but you got, you have to know what it's like to be in the hot seat. And then the other thing that I always emphasize is this work is discipline agnostic. It doesn't matter who you are, because when you're in a primary care setting, they want help with any behaviorally informed things that you can do for any number of conditions. So it doesn't matter if you're a counselor, family therapist, psychologist. What matters is that you have the competencies to mirror primary care and that you're taking into the gather acronym almost as part of your DNA as you walk in the door. Right. And so that's what we want to really train for. And we realized after that initial um, investment that we need more work. And I'd reached out to Neftali to do like continuous TA to kind of get the faculty really trained, right? So like, if you are going after a integrated care track in your institution, you have to invest in the quality control, right? Meaning you have to expose them to national speakers, models, literature, you have to demonstrate practice. Uh, No one should be teaching integrated care related stuff if they haven't at least done simulations, right? At least. I mean, because, you know, we can't get everybody to um, want to do BHC work and then teach. But, uh, and we're in a, in a learning curve, right? Because I, I have no idea where this experiment would go. Um, but, you know, the next few years, we'll kind of figure out where it ends up.
0: Yeah, and I think it's cool that we all do our part. Uh, I love, I can't wait to see what happens with that project, Deepu. Uh, during the conference i had a lot of folks say like hey are you on um are you on youtube you know and i'm like yeah we got a youtube channel and they're like that was my onboarding and so part of me was like oh that's cool the other part of me was terrified like that was your onboarding i mean i think we have some pretty cool videos you know check it out at cfha but um it's got to be more than that
2: so i mean right i I think i think I'll try. I'll try to play the uh, the the calm, wise old man here on the podcast. All right. Yes. But so so I'm I'm totally with you there, uh, Bridget. And, and like ten years ago, I was having the same sort of thoughts. And then kind of it, it hit me at some point that you know th- this is actually pretty normal. So if you look at medicine, my wife is an emergency medicine physician. As most of you know um, her discipline is really pretty new. Um, it's about fifty years old, actually. And so when it first happened, there was, it's hard for us to imagine, there were no emergency room physicians. There there was actually an emergency room. That's where the word came from. It was just a room in the hospital where urgent cases would come in. And it was staffed by, could be a psychiatrist, could be a urologist, just by random people would just staff the room and do basic triage. So basically no one was trained in life-saving emergent care, it was just this hole in the health system, and there was actually a lot of entrenched interest against having uh, emergency physicians as a specialty. Surgeons didn't want it, family docs didn't want it. Those are the two main main specialties kind of fighting because they they they, they thought it was maybe going to take this <laughs> is going to take money from them, right? Just you know, crazy stuff. Now, right? So it took them more than a decade to even get to the place where they could have a residency and meaning a residency track and a board certified specialty, and then recognition ultimately from the AMA. And so it took a long time for them to even get established during that time, there was a lot of bad care. And I'm sure that actually there was people dying because you're going to the emergency room and folks, there are not trained to do, you know, uh, resuscitations and, and things like that. Right. So In a sense, we are in that period of time where we are building the plane while we're flying it. And yes, there's a lot of issues with quality control for sure. That said, I also think there's an acceleration happening at this point where there's a ton of jobs out there. And this is where I really want to yell to the academic folks. There's a ton of jobs out there in the wild that are not getting filled because you guys are not training. And so, you're not reaching the market, you're not meeting the needs of the market, and something's got to change on the academic side. People have to realize okay, we don't have it, we don't have the expertise here. Let's figure out a way to bring expertise into our department so that we can start training folks from the get go to do this kind of work. So, Bridget and I don't have to go in after the fact and retrain someone who maybe doesn't even want to be trained (laughs) to do this kind of work. Right.
0: And if it's in, sometimes if you don't receive, some decent quality um training in the beginning it's hard to fall in love with it yeah because it's so miserable
4: yeah.
0: uh when there's so many difficulties and so many issues and then we then we're trying to like attract people like oh no, no no like it's great it's like that was great that was the worst two years of my life uh type of stuff and another plug for cfha's elos or elo i like to call it elo in my brain uh is the pcbh forum and the one that uh jeff Ryder put on there is 19 hours worth of content. Uh, Neftali. I know you have a session on there. Uh, there's really, really good stuff that will, that actually wouldn't be the worst thing ever if somebody sat in a room and watched that 19 hours worth of content. I mean, that does a pretty damn good job. It could be a good launching point for uh, s- curriculum uh, for schools, uh, and academic institutions to uh, jump off from. But yeah, if you don't have at least decent Training, you might not be able to fall in love with it, uh, and it can actually is like folks are so turned off, and that's scary to me. But I, I, I like that you shared that perspective, Nefthali, and this is all part of the process. I want to
1: yeah. pull us back in by summarizing some of the things I've been like scribbling little notes of these pearls and nuggets of wisdom that team has shared as we've been talking about this first neftali did a beautiful summary of many of the policy needs that we have but then i asked what if you do if you're overwhelmed and you guys gave some really specific really wonderful advice that i'm not even sure that you recognize that you were giving Um, so one of the things was uh you're not alone you're not the only one doing this work there are many people you need to find your people who are doing this work but then also build relationships with the people that are in a position of power to make the difference so that you have the ear to advocate in the place that it's going to matter. Another thing that you said is don't underestimate the the role that you're in. So whether you are early in your career or you're clinical or you're in education or you're in administration or whatever position you're in, there's a piece of this work to be done. And we do our best work when we find our piece. When you know the problem and it's grounded in your experience and your story, because not only is that story going to keep you connected to what really matters, it's also going to help people, other people understand what the problem truly is. So find your problem and your way that you can contribute in the context of that community of people who are going to be doing this work with you. And then look for the pockets of opportunity, being in the right place at the right time, being ready to speak up and say, I mean, the pandemic has been such a great example. Just like you said, Naftali, we have felt like the healthcare system is is too big and too broken. And then to see it turn on a dime, to see that change happen so quickly, uh, not to be too systems theory on us, but uh, when there is that huge monumental shift, there's such an opportunity. So there's many ways that change can happen. There's the little incremental chipping away that we do building the wall, If we do one piece and then the next piece and the next piece and we keep going and change is absolutely built that way. But the other way change is built is something breaks or something happens and we are ready to jump in, in that moment with an idea, with a solution, with a plan and to do the work to make the change. And I think that whether you are someone just speaking directly to our listeners, whether you are someone who feels like you have a whole lot to offer or feels like you have a specific story or not, you do. And I would just invite and encourage people to look around at your sphere of influence, look around at the patients that you're seeing. And remember what Monica said at the beginning, the policy is practice and practices policies. So we are affecting change in whatever our bubble is. And we can bring those things together through organizations like CFHA through, um, you know, conferences, or even just those connections of community that we make to bring about, you know, those changes and see the difference that we want to see. So you said all of those wonderful things. And I just wanted to really pull them out and highlight them because it feels very encouraging to me. And I know that it will for our listeners as well,
2: man, you are, you are good grace. I just have <laughs> to say that. Uh, I'm always impressed. <laughs> yeah. She's a fan Debbie. And she's like, man,
1: my favorite thing to do to bring it all together like that. I want to, you know, our, our time is getting short. Are there, you know, other thoughts that you guys want to share or um you know closing thoughts before Deepu just had to leave us too and I'm going to do our closing meditation but any final thoughts before we move to that? You
2: no, know, I think I think if 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 you're listening to this and you're you're pumped up or I guess if you're not pumped up and discouraged, uh I just encourage you to reach out. I, I think um you know find us at CFHA. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking to energize and support folks who maybe feel intimidated, feel like it's not their thing. And we want to tell you, no, it is your thing. You, you can do it. And we'll be there with you. You know, we've got a great community of people who are, I know for a fact that are, are, are enjoy reaching out and, uh, peer mentoring, etc. cetera. So reach out to us, cfha.net, Bridget and David's podcast, find it on integratedcarenews.com. Uh, which links up to their YouTube channel. So there's lots of ways to, to get plugged in. And if you are interested in that Policy Champions group, just keep an eye out for it on the Listserv and on our newsletter. We'll be launching that sometime Q1 of next year. Oh, last thing, uh, Families and Health. Also, if you want to just learn about policy, the Families and Health uh, journal, our, our, our journal has a section on policy um, and actually, if you go back to the last few years, there's some primers on policy. So if you're like a newbie and just want to learn basic terms, like what is Medicare? You know, there's there's some primer articles on there that are really simple and straightforward that you can look through as well.
0: Yeah, and I really like what you said, Grace, about finding your sphere of influence and sharing stories. I think it's really exciting on the CFHA listserv when... Uh, folks go out of their comfort zone and say, you know, I kind of feel uncomfortable doing this, but I'm going to share the story from the clinic. I think that we do underestimate the power that that can have like, in, like ourselves. Uh, because I, I know that when all the emails that are coming through, when there's one that has a story of something that they did in clinic where it made a difference for the system or for the patient, I get pumped up by that. And it's like, it allows us to keep going. You know, it's that fuel and that inspiration for when there are those dips where you're like, man, is this too tall of a task? Or maybe am I doing more harm than good? And all these like th- thoughts and doubts pop into our brains. When you're able to, to read those stories that at the end of it is a person's life, it's being impacted in a positive way, I, it pumps everybody up. So uh, I, I get that it's probably scary. I used to have a severe uh, public speaking phobia, and now I, I love it. So Put yourself out there, expose your therapy on yourself and write it, man, and let it
1: let it fly. Those are some good encouragements and great resources. Uh as always, Deepu has chosen a perfect ending meditation for us that I'm going to read for us now. This is called Belonging by Rosemary Wotola Tromer. And if it's true, we are alone, we are alone together. The way blades of grass are alone, but exist as a field. Sometimes I feel it, the green fuse that ignites us, the wild thrum that unites us, an inner hum that reminds us of our shared humanity. Just as 35 trillion red blood cells join in one body to become one blood. Just as 136,000 notes make up one symphony. Alone as we are, our small voices weave into one big conversation our actions are essential to the one infinite story of what it is to be alive. When we feel alone, we belong to the grand communion of those who sometimes feel alone. We are the dust, the dust that hopes, a rising of dust, a thrill of dust, the dust that dances in the light with all the other dust, the dust that makes the world. Thank you guys for being with me. Thank you For our listeners to joining us, we'll talk to you again next month.